Greetings. I'm Matt Matthews, one of the pastors here at First Pres in Champaign, and I'm happy to welcome you to our media ministry. Join us in person. We're located at the intersection of Church and State Streets, adjacent to Westside Park in downtown Champaign. Our traditional worship service is at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning, and on most of those Sundays, we offer French translation. Our contemporary services on Sunday begin at 11.15 a.m. When you come to First Pres, what you'll find, what I hope you'll find, is a community of people who support each other and who are passionate about making a difference in our community and beyond. You'll find relevant teaching for children and adults. We have at least a dozen Bible studies in small groups, including pickleball, that's right, pickleball, adult choir, a bell choir for all comers, and other programs and events designed to grow your faith and give you and me opportunities to serve. There's a place for you. I'm glad you tuned in. Uh, Our scripture this morning comes from Philippians chapter 3. Philippians is, uh, for many of us, our favorite book of the Bible. From chapter 3 of Philippians. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, born of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, and the sharing of His sufferings by becoming like Him in His death. If somehow I may obtain, attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached this goal, but I press on to make this goal my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it on my own. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, Eleanor, uh, one time I was a small group leader at Montreat at the youth conferences there. And, um, you know, the small group leaders had about 35 kids in their small group. It's a pretty big small group. And we were uh, supposed to make sense of the keynotes during the morning and also make sense of worship at night. And during the day, the small groups would go about and do recreation and exploring together. But every day, the small groups would gather several times for a a lesson and for some some group uh, bonding. And um, it's a very active time. Uh, In my small group was a young man who had a badly broken leg. 
And all of our activities were about moving somewhere. We were supposed to go to the tennis courts for this. We were supposed to go rock hopping for that. We were supposed to go to the Huckleberry for ice cream at this time. And we couldn't do any of that. And as a young man in charge of a small group, I thought, how can I do any of this? We'll just have to leave that kid behind. So we talked about it as a group. And I really didn't know what else to do, except, you know, it wasn't my fault he had a broken leg. But uh, two of the boys said, oh, we can get him there. So they put him on his back. And I thought, he's going to have a broken spine by the time this is over. And then later they said, here, get on this crutch. And so two guys would stand on either side of the crutch and sit him on there. And then another guy would stand in front of him and he would put his arms around his shoulders and that's how they walked around Montreat. That's how they went to the Huckleberry for ice cream. That's how they went up and down hundreds of steps all day long. That's how they went rock hopping, though the kid couldn't get in the water. That's how they made it to the barn dance. And that's how that kid danced. On that crutch, sitting on an assembly in pillow, holding on to the boy in front of him, the, the four of them managed to go everywhere in Montreat together. Um, your pastor's plan for this little boy, he was 13 maybe, my plan was to leave him out. But the small group had another idea, and that was to include him in every aspect of that arduous, fun, exhilarating week. This is a sermon about belonging. This is a sermon about belonging. Paul had a great resume. And you know, when you go to college for the in-person uh, interview, if you're, if you're in a place that does that still, you want to look your part. A guy wants to wear a necktie maybe or a jacket, colorful socks. If you're going to the prom, you want to look the part. You want to have the right dress. You want to have the right flower. You want to have colorful socks. You know, if you're running for office, you're going to have your picture taken in front of an American flag. It's important to exude confidence and to have the right resume, to look the part in order to get the job. Depending on your context, that background matters a great deal. Who you know can help. It can help if you're well-connected. So if I were planning to, uh, or wanting, or bucking for a, um, a committee assignment for a Peace USA General Assembly Council committee, I might drop the name of Reverend Joe Lundy. And surely I would get the job. I would just say, yeah, I know Joe Lundy. And because I'm wearing colorful socks, I would get the job. Paul, he thought he had all of that, right? He thought he had everything. He thought he had the perfect resume. If anybody has reason to be confident, I do. I'm a Hebrew born of Hebrews. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. As to the law, I am blameless. As to, as to zealousness, well, I've persecuted Christians. Anybody who would, who would get in the way of the synagogue, I am blameless. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. In other words, I've got a great resume. You can't argue with my resume. Vote for me. Hire me. I'm your man. If I get to run on your team, we'll be running in high cotton. That's what Paul is telling the church at Philippi. But he says none of that 
matters anymore because he's met Jesus. And Jesus puts everything into a context that he's never thought about before. All that matters is Jesus, his plan, his righteousness, his faithfulness, his teaching, his winsome way. My righteousness doesn't compare, even though I have a good resume, my righteousness doesn't compare to Jesus the Christ. I can't earn my way, and I know it, but I'm connected to Jesus. And by God's grace, because Jesus is my friend, my champion, my savior, I have something better to live for. This is what Paul is telling the church at Philippi. The life, death, resurrection, friendship of Jesus gives Paul a reason to examine himself. And when he examines himself, he sees that he's always coming up short. He discovers that his own will is not perfect. In Romans 3, he says, I know what it is that I want to do, but the very thing I want to do, I cannot do, Paul says. That's an interesting insight into the human condition. He discovers that despite his supposed righteousness, sin has a hold on him no matter what he does. He can't shake it. His intentions, his actions are somehow uh, diminished by sin. The world's corruption And the world's brokenness has rubbed off on him. The wars that are running around and the hatred and the polarization, it's rubbing off on him. My will is not pure. I'm influenced by self-interest. There's nothing that I can do that is not somehow shaded by my own self-interest, by what I want for me, not for one another and not for God, but for me. Wasn't it Paul who was one of the zealots who held the coats of all those other zealots who stoned Stephen to death? Paul is broken by this sin. And he discovers that his perfect resume isn't perfect after all. So Paul is right here not to cling on his resume. He's right instead to cling to his friend Jesus the Christ. For Paul, there's no greater power than the power of God in Jesus. There's no higher authority. There's no greater goal. There's no holier walk. Nothing else matters. He tells the church at Philippi, I press on to make this relationship with with Christ, to make this goal of becoming Christ-like. I press on to make this goal my own, just as Jesus Christ has made me his own. Paul was likely in prison when he wrote to the church at Philippi. His seersucker suit from Brooks Brothers had been torn. His resume has mustard stains on it. His 401k went belly up. He thought he had it all figured out, but he doesn't. However, none of that stuff matters. Because he's connected to Jesus, he's a rich man. He is a rich man. And Paul is not worried about what will happen. As a disciple, he's been called to important work. He knows that this is his life's vocation, to share this love, to share this story, to live this gospel. And this matters. And whether he lives or dies, he would say to the church at Rome, whether he lives or dies, he belongs to God. 
This belonging, this belonging makes all the difference to Paul. I've told this Michael Linval story many times. I'll tell it to you many more times. Uh, all the good stories are rubbed smooth with the retelling. Um, the pastor comes to the church and he discovers that Mildred Corey is alone in the sanctuary praying and weeping and not wanting to interrupt but also wanting to make sure she was okay. He asks, is everything fine? And she says, yes, I have a, a new grandson and he'd like to be baptized here at the church. And the pastor says, well, have Tina, her daughter, have Tina and her husband give me a call and we'll arrange the baptism. And Mildred says, well, there is no husband. Um, he won't be at the service. Uh, Tina had been confirmed only a few years before and fell in love with some guy and became pregnant, as sometimes is the case. And so as an 18-year-old, she has a baby. And, and Jimmy went and joined the Air Force to get away from it and to get uh, his life together. But she's nervous about coming to the pastor, and Mildred, the mom, is weeping over this situation. But the baptism is arranged. Now, as is the custom in this small church that Michael Linval writes, um, it's the custom for the family to stand up uh, with and for the baby at the baptismal ceremony during worship. So the mom and dad would be there and grandparents and everyone, but not so with Tina's family. Mildred is the only family in town. And everybody else in the family has disowned Tina. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby in a baby carriage. Not so for Tina, and not so for little baby Jimmy. So there's not going to be anybody standing up for Tina and for Jimmy, except for Mildred. And in this church, it was always such a sight to see when family would all throng to the front and gather around, gather around with the baptized baby. The session approved the baptism, but Angus McDowell was really upset about it. You know, he was really upset that, that this woman, this young, young woman, doesn't have the support she needs. This baby likely will be growing up with perhaps a deficit of some kind. He's very upset about it. And he, Mr. We've Never Done It That Way Before, he says to the session in no uncertain terms that this is irregular. But the baptism was to happen, this irregular baptism. And when it came time for people to stand, uh, Tina and the baby came forward, and, and then Mildred came forward. And the three of them were there, and as the minister began asking the constitutional questions, it was a Presbyterian church, he noticed a rustle in the pews. And he looked up and he saw Angus McDowell standing there like a tree. And he thought Angus McDowell, Mr. We've Never Done It This Way Before, was getting ready to leave as some kind of protest. What a jerk, the minister thought. There's a time to make your voice known and there's a time to sit down and be quiet. But Angus McDowell not only was standing, he wasn't leaving. And Minnie McDowell stood up next to him. And then Tina's sixth grade teacher stood up 
and then a new couple to the church. Not only did they stand up, they came forward. And soon everybody, all the elders, everybody in the church had stood up to surround Tina and baby, Jim, uh, baby Jimmy with their love. Presente. They were present in the moment. They would not let this family stand alone. This is a sermon about belonging. Paul realizes that he belongs to God in Jesus Christ. And this is a life-changing reality for him. And God loves and welcomes everybody and God calls us to love and welcome and stand up with and stand up for everybody. And Paul devotes his life to this vocation. And here we are, figuratively standing up with the Angus and Minnie McDowells, figuratively standing up around the font, figuratively standing up and for one another affirming that we belong to God and that by God's grace we're related to one another and that God, God's self stands with us. Paul knew that he was nothing without this grace and that his resume, which was a very good resume, didn't count for anything, not really. Paul tells the church at Philippi, I press on to make my goal of being like Jesus my own. I press on to make this my goal because Christ has made me his own. Put another way, Paul says, look, I'm reaching out for Christ who so dramatically has reached out for me, for you, for us. Together. Thanks be to God. Thank you for joining this podcast of First Presbyterian Church Champaign. Visit us at our campus at the intersection of Church and State Streets in downtown Champaign. And for more information, visit us online at www.firstpres.church. Have a great week.